This is going to be a challenging one. It's Thursday evening, June 14th, the night before I'm supposed to put this episode out. Actually, there's no requirement. What is this, a school paper? Uh, I can put this out whenever I want. I'm the only employee here anyway. But I tried to record this on Monday, and my laptop would not turn on. It was probably user error. But uh, so that night crumbled, and now we're here. I don't feel pressure, but I don't feel well prepared because this is a big topic that means a lot to me, and I guess I just, I want to get it right. And the topic is that, uh, it's something I've alluded to on previous episodes, um, indirectly, but that is the fact that just at this point in life, at age 30, I do not know where to land um, in my faith, basically. And as always, I'm just going to give this caveat again. I'm going to tell you things about my upbringing and my past and my life and experience, uh, not because I think that they are so unique or profound or interesting or that I am so interesting to listen to, but simply that I'm trying to communicate truths to you um, and just work these things out, out loud in this microphone. And um, I do want to briefly say just thank you to those of you who are supporting the show on Patreon. It, it really means a lot and, and you guys are very generous and kind and it just you know who you are and just know that I, I personally appreciate you a lot because this show is, you know, it's tiny. It's, it's insignificant in, in a lot of ways. And, um, but I'm, I'm very grateful to have your confidence and, uh, confidence in me and, and support and appreciation. So thank you for that. And, um, other folks, if you want to support me, you can go to patreon.com slash texture pod. Just a, just a tiny little advertisement. Just slip it under the radar there. You know, don't worry about it. Go there or don't. You don't have to. It's an option. And um, the other thing I want to say is just briefly, I will or, or intend to, I should say, have guests um, more frequently in the near future. And I have a handful of people in mind um, so that texture is not always just me speaking only, which is is not as compelling as um, a two-person conversation with back and forth and differing opinions and stuff, and, and always hopefully guests with this same sort of heart behind the talks of just depth, human experience, belief, you know, our behavior. Um, so there are some good folks who could definitely contribute to this conversation and, and be a good blend. So I, I, I don't know why I feel the need to say that. You're probably not worried about it. Um, if you're coming back every week and it's just me, that's great. But just know that's on the horizon. And um, I, I will, I do intend to get some folks into the garage, into the man corner that I've set up for myself, where I can look at my VHS types above my head. But let's get to the point, Josh. I was born <laughs> into a... I, I would say at the time, a pretty conservative sort of Baptist blend evangelical family. 
I was the first. I'm the oldest of three. I have two younger sisters. And my parents at that time in 1988 were relatively new, um, I'm going to use this term, believers, which in Christian lingo just means that they had not that long before me being born, they had uh, done the thing where they accept Jesus into their heart as their personal Lord and Savior, and then from there on try to live their lives in a way that um, follows the Bible, I guess, and um, that is in service to God, to Jesus and God. So, so I know that uh, some of you perhaps grew up in maybe a Catholic household or maybe had a similar experience to that, maybe had completely um, agnostic or atheist parents or something in between pseudo-religious where it was just kind of by title, but they gave no effort to it. But anyway, um, so I realize there are many different stories out there, and, and mine was this. So being born into a family with relatively newly believing parents. And I, I take time to, to note that because I do think sometimes soon after conversion, so to speak, um, folks can tend to be especially passionate and especially, I can't think of a better term, but just they're, they're really excited in some cases. My parents were, um, and they were trying really hard to get it right, I would say, as if there is a way to get it right. And so that meant that growing up, we went to churches that were, again, I, I don't even know what to call them. I, I'm so out of the game of, of denominations of Christianity and stuff, but it would, it would be basically evangelical, believing the Bible is literal, um, with some Baptist blend in there, some of the some of the moralistic rules um, about I don't know, not cussing, not drinking alcohol, um, definitely no premarital sex. Um, you know, you probably have an idea of that already. Just sort of the generic, like vanilla Christian um, American assumptions of how to live. That was pretty much my experience. And so growing up, and I've only realized this in hindsight, um, I started to recognize even as a young boy, a discord in what I was being taught at church and what I was being taught at home and in Sunday school, um, in all those places, a, a discord between the belief and uh, my parents' actions and I should just say up front that I, in general, I feel like I had a very good childhood. Um, and I, I am not at all um, presenting myself here as a, as a victim of something as poor me, this horrible thing happened. Like, please notice me and feel bad for me. It's, I don't feel that way at all. In general, when I think about my childhood, it was great. But with a few notable things that while they weren't necessarily traumatic, I don't know. I mean, that word, I, I just, I hesitate to use it um, because I feel like my experience was not as extreme as some, some other people. 
as a lot of other people. Um, but yeah, just, and there was a discord between what I was learning at church about how Jesus, um, died for our sins and he loves us and he forgives us as long as we ask and he will take us to heaven as long as we make sure to ask him into our hearts and keep asking for forgiveness and try to be good. And essentially, I mean, I realize you have to simplify this message for kids, maybe, or they did anyway, teachers and my parents, which is essentially the basic narrative that I understood as a little boy for years and years was that you, yeah, Jesus forgives you, but you also had better be a good boy, a good little boy and not lie and not be mean to your sisters and whatever else, or you will go to the scary fireplace um, fire, space, place, you know what I mean? You'll go to hell and you'll burn forever because Jesus will tell you this horrifying sentence, which is that I never knew you depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And I mean, good God, (laughs) what, what a thing to hear as a child. I mean, and that, that, right off the bat, that's confusing. Okay. Does Jesus forgive me? Does he have me or does he not? Am I like, am I always walking a razor's edge between eternal torment and getting to go to like a bright, shiny place? You know, it's, it's really confusing and you probably know what I mean. Even if that wasn't your experience, you probably had some um, version of that, or at least that you heard. And so that's, that's a little off. That's hard to parse as a, as a child. And at least for me, filled me with anxiety and fear and just a constant nervousness, a constant fear that Jesus was not happy with me, that Jesus was not pleased with me. And you know, and things like this would happen, um, like this example, and this is is mild. I, I, whatever, I'm just going to stop apologizing. I'll just say it how it happened. Um, I had done something. This was maybe age eight, eight or nine, somewhere around there. And as a pious little Awana boy um, of that age, who went to you know not only church but church groups and whatever else. Um, I used to wear at that age, because I thought it was really cool, a little WWJD bracelet made of uh, like twine and the little beads with the letters on them. You know, you're, you know the one. And uh, for whatever reason, I really liked wearing it. It was like a reminder, oh, what would Jesus do? Make sure to be good in this given moment. And anyway, I had been naughty apparently I had done something that, uh, I don't even remember. That's how inconsequential it was. It was something small. It was probably mean to my sisters. Um, and at the breakfast table, my mother said to me, why do you wear that bracelet if you're not going to act like it? Which crushed me at that time. Again, I'm not saying I'm a victim. I'm just telling you my eight-year-old brain was like, oh, oh no, she's right. She's right. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. Jesus is upset with me. 
And um, in in defense of my mother, you know, I know what it's like to be a parent. She was probably impatient. Was it a shitty thing to say? Yeah. Um, if she heard this now, I'm, I guarantee she would feel terrible for that because she has changed and, and she would recognize that that's just, that is a bomb to drop on an eight-year-old. Um, and I was smart enough at that age to, to be able to tie in all the existential terror of like the eternal life or death um, um, implications of that. So it crushed me. And I felt like shit that whole day. I felt bad. I probably prayed for forgiveness. You know, there was no apology from my mom, probably no awareness even that she had said anything hurtful. And so even, you know, to this day, that was 22 years ago, something like that. I still remember that. Um, And I just remember these moments of my parents, um, well, it's, it, I'm, I'm having trepidation as to whether or not I should share this, but I'm just going to go and do it, uh, more for their sake than for mine. But Hey, fuck it. I, I'm the one who had to live through it. Um, I remember these just screaming fights that my parents would have. And the confusing thing was, is that they would often, um, these things would escalate and, uh, usually a, a little after dinner time. And they would lock themselves in their room and we could clearly hear them down the hall screaming and yelling at each other, sometimes like banging or shit getting thrown against the wall. I mean, my dad had scratches across his face one time at dinner, like bleeding scratches. Uh, anyway, things like that. And, and these fights, whatever they were about, um, we never, it was never explained to us after or there, there was never sort of a resolve for us kids of like hey at least at least not to my memory i'll give that caveat maybe they did and i don't recall but to my memory there was no sort of resolve afterwards after they had worked things out or calmed down at least of just coming and getting my sisters and i because i would take my sisters into their bedroom where they had a bunk bed and they were both younger than me and sometimes would be, you know, in tears or just so scared and so worried about mom and dad of like, they, you know, they understood even less than I did what was happening. And I can remember just trying to um, play with them or like make up games to distract them or we would watch a movie on the little um, TV in there and just try to reassure them, even though I didn't know. I didn't know if things were okay. I tried to reassure them that things were okay. Um, and that was confusing. You know, um, I, I, I recognize, I realize everybody's parents fought probably. Okay. Um, but for, for whatever it was, it, it just, I, I feel that it would have helped so much to just get some resolve after that, to just, to just have the reassurance that mom and dad are okay. We're still going to be a family. We still love each other. We're upset about these things. They didn't have to explain all of it to us, but just some sort of closure instead of us confusedly going to bed sometimes while they were still screaming. Um, and so it was things like that where again, in my little boy brain, it's like, what? 
this this is scary and bad and I, and I feel really frightened in my own home and yet these are the same people who drive me to church in the family van on Sunday where there they act happy and normal and um, that we learn that we're supposed to love each other and treat each other well and and that we need to be good so that we go to heaven. Um, so anyway, you're surely picking up on the discord of that. And um, then fast forward a little bit to sixth grade. I went to a very fundamentalist Christian school um, with uniforms and everything. Well, maybe fundamentalist isn't right. See, I shouldn't use these terms because I don't even know. It was, <laughs> we, there, there was chapel once a week on Wednesdays and they, I remember that was the first time I experienced uh, speaking in tongues. The the lovely, not I did it, I saw it happen by maniacs in the front of the stage. Um, that that was new to me. So the churches I had grown up with, grown up in, didn't have the the hooting and the hollering and the banging on the walls in the back. Um, so that that was new and that weirded me out. And and truly at the time I was like, what? are they doing is this supposed to be like it truly even at that time at age 11 or 12 i was like this this seems completely fake this it seems like they're just i mean it it weirded me out but but they were still just it seemed put upon um this preacher up front was going on and on and and it was the sort of sermon that if you could put it on a on a diagram or a graph it would just be a steady 45 degree angle up so just his energy went up and up and up until the crowd which was all students by the way uh started you know clapping and hollering and and going you know preach it yeah brother say it say it i remember the, there's this black girl who would always say that in the middle of the sermons she'd just go say it as in uh like maybe you should be quiet darling because he he already is saying it he doesn't need your encouragement anyway speaking in tongues was new to me i didn't get it went to this school with even more strict rules than we had at home and the the worship band for some reason in the middle of this guy's sermon was like walking in circles behind him with their hands up, their eyes closed, and just, you know, speaking gibberish and like slamming their arms against the wall. It, I mean, weird, theatrical, carny shit. Okay. And so there's, there's another mixed message. And, you know, I did go home and talk to my parents about it and it, it kind of wigged them out because they weren't into that. Um, but they kept me in that school and so, you know, kept going to chapel once a week and it, it was essentially like, well, just ignore that part or just, yeah, we don't believe that. That's kind of crazy, but we already paid for the school year. So, you know, you're staying in there. Um, and, and during this time, I was trying my best to follow the rules so to speak, as I understood them as a little boy and kind of with a pretty frequent, pretty constant, like hum, just this continuous white noise of fear below the surface of everything that I did had implications 
Um, I wasn't allowed to listen to heavy rock music or even music that wasn't with the label of Christian, so no secular music. And I remember there was a time when my mom and sisters were gone from the house and I was home by myself and I was a, a little older, I don't know, 10 or something, and listening to a CD that I'd gotten from a friend, like a burned CD, or um, I don't recall what it was, but it, but uh, it, I remember it was like, it was heavy music. I think it was even Christian music, but it was more rocky than I was allowed to have and and feeling like I was sneaking around you know, by even doing that, by, by being so desperate for something different, for something con- content wise that was different than what I was used to. And it was so interesting and exciting to me because it was forgive forbidden, you know, because it was forbidden. It was exciting. Ooh, what is that? Why am I not allowed to have that? Yeah, that's actually a, exactly what I want is what I'm not allowed to have. Right. So it builds that in, builds in that layer. But then I felt bad about it, you know, and probably asked for forgiveness, you know, uh, not to my parents, but to Jesus, because surely he's upset with me for listening to some guitars that have a distortion pedal on them. Um, There was another time when my mom, uh, as a punishment for doing something naughty, (laughs) I use that word tongue in cheek, um, I had to go to bed early. And before I went to sleep, I had to read the entire book of James, which is only five chapters. It's not that bad. And I think my mother even borrowed that punishment from an episode of the Waltons TV show. Um, But even so, she was upset. And as a response, um, as a punishment, I mean, talk about confusing. As a punishment, go read the Bible. That's your punishment. You're not getting spanked. You're not getting grounded. You're not getting something taken away. Go read the Bible. I mean, dude, no bueno. That's that's a mixed message to the max. Um, yeah. Oh, so this book that we believe in that is very good to read that tells us how to be good boys and girls, um and that tells us how Jesus loves us when we're good so that we don't go to the scary fireplace. Um, But actually, when you get in trouble, you need to go read the good book um, as a punishment. And so, yeah, here's the groundwork that we're working with that is carrying me slowly into adulthood and into high school and all that. While we're on the subject, let's jump to high school. So I really liked youth group <clears throat> and uh, the, around this time, maybe, maybe you're familiar with this concept, started noticing that girls exist, started noticing, whoa, females are not just um, other people, they are pretty in my eyes. Whoa, I'm, I'm, I get all tingly talking to them, wow, and, and they, they like talking to me and they smell good. And they put, they put on like funky lotion on their hands and they, they have like sparkles on their face sometimes, like sparkly lotion or makeup or something. All these things, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but Lil Joshi was not allowed to date. 
And in hindsight, religiosity aside, not a bad thing. Um, I, I did not know who I was or what I was doing. And so at least for a time, it, it was good that I was not allowed to date. And I was enough of a good boy that I followed it. I didn't do it. Not until age 15, um, which is still pretty damn young. I mean, that's still basically a child. I was definitely still basically a child at 15. And anyway, but wasn't allowed to date. Notice that girls are around. That's fine. It's fun to go to youth group and talk with them and sit next to them and even, oh my gosh, share a Coke from the Coke machine. And we both put our lips on the same can of Coke. I mean, guys, this blew my mind as a, as a 15 year old that a girl would want to share a soda pop with me and put her lips on it. And that when I took a drink, I could taste just a smidgen of that, of that fruity lip balm. And that may sound creepy. I hope it isn't. I was just a little boy discovering that I liked girls and it was so exciting. What a vibrant time, you know? But so mixed into all this is just still this very pious, um, just a very constant effort to be good and to not disobey, to not lie, to not go outside the boundaries, all because I thought I, I have to do this. I have to be this way. I have to live this way and act this way because the Bible says so and because Jesus will send me to hell if I don't do these things. So that was still ingrained pretty strongly in there. Ha, goodness sakes. I can remember thinking, and this still carries with me to this day, this general idea that there was a right way to be a Christian, as in, um, sort of a checklist way or, or, um, that Jesus would have some sort of scorecard at the end of my life. And that, um, I would have either gotten it right or gotten it wrong. And whatever, whatever it was, I thought through all these years, even up into early college years, like 18 to 21 ish, still had that basic idea of like, I really, I really want to get this right. And I see some of my friends, uh, quote unquote, falling away or like they stop believing or they start doing drugs or they start going to drinking parties or they're sleeping with their girlfriend or, you know, all these little things that, that just seemed like the worst, um, offenses, at that time. And, and I would, uh, definitely internally judge them. I would internally be a little bit glad that I was one of the good ones who wasn't smoking cigarettes and, and I was still, I'd still never had sex. And, um, you know, I didn't go to these parties and stuff. And I, you know, as if, as if that would get me some points on the scoreboard, you know, and, um, but still, I, I just can't get away from the fact that all this was still basically driven by fear, driven by this panic and this and this hovering entity 
you know, sometimes of like this sinister God who was over my shoulder, um, watching out to see if I had masturbated, um, watching out to see if I had lied to my parents or like tried to hide something or done something bad. And that it, that I, I spent so many hours and days agonizing over the fact that God in my thoughts, uh, as I, as I thought it, God was disappointed in me. That God was so ashamed of Josh Gaines. That mm, God's got a lot of great folks in the roster. Got a, got a lot of real stellar missionaries out there who are live. They're on fire for Jesus. But mm, Josh, whew, he's. Yeah, he's trailing in the back. He he is the caboose of this train for sure. I mean, I'll probably still let him into heaven, but boy, he is going to squeak by by the skin of his teeth and uh ha. Huh, I just I just wish we could get Josh up to par. Just wish we could get him into the good space to where he's he's a, he's witnessing to more people. And boy, I, I wish he'd stop touching his penis so often. And uh, I know I know he feels bad about that one, but gee whiz, you know all these sort of thoughts. I know I know I'm using tongue in cheek. I'm being I'm using hyperbole, but that is what I thought. And if you grew up in a way that was completely different, and you think that's insane, if you think that's bonkers and crazy that I ever believed that, um, one, you're kind of right. But two, dude, I mean, what, I, that's I didn't know any better. How could I have? I didn't know any any other way to be. And I, I was so convinced that, um, yeah, God loves us, but there's always this caveat um, that you better be good. And man, oh man, that, I mean, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it damaged me in the sense that I just, I think I spent so much time agonizing over things that I didn't need to fret about. You know, I spent so many years being worried and um, existentially looking over my shoulder, mentally checking over my shoulder to see if I was in trouble to, to try to parse out in my thoughts, is Jesus upset with me? Am I, am I on the good side or am I on the bad side? If I died tonight, would I go to heaven? And, uh, you know, I'm not so, um, jaded or uh, upset about that, that I, I don't think that it's possible that there's some sliver of truth in in all of that but i i do know that i don't want my child or children um to have to go through their formative years thinking that and to be fair i don't i don't know that my parents knew that i agonized this badly um definitely the people at church didn't know i did i mean probably because they were the ones who were essentially 
you know, grounding that into me, like driving those ideas in and being just way extremist and fundamentalist and, and just acting as if Jesus is this petty, um, emotional teenager who you've got to stay on his good side or he will smite the fuck out of you. You know, just what an, what a disgusting way to view this person who is supposedly the creator and savior of the universe. But like, he's so fickle that we have to, we have to tiptoe around our entire lives and feel bad about a bunch of shit just to make sure that we're still in the, that we still have the salvation stamp. I mean, dude, no, get out of here. So all of that has mostly been unraveled in my thinking. And and thankfully I don't live under those chains anymore, but I mean that all that stuff came at foundational ages and those moments happened, even if I'm not a victim, even if they weren't traumatic, so to speak, they were, they stuck with me and they stuck in my brain and they, they reoriented my thinking to make me realize, oh, I need to act a certain way so that that doesn't happen again. So I don't get in trouble or so that I don't feel bad, uh, or under the judgment of this scary father, God. So much of that has been unraveled, but it, it is still ingrained in me in, in some ways and still rears its head. Or, or if I'm not paying attention, I can let myself return to that way of thinking. Um, definitely not as extreme as that, but still this sense that there's a right way to be a Christian and that, um, that, that we're, we're able to make God unhappy with us, that we're capable of doing things that, that kind of put us in the danger zone with him. And I just, I, I want so badly and I, and I'm getting there to just get rid of that completely and I mean, let's be frank, you, you might be, you might think that I'm crazy for still clinging to Christianity at all. And I mean, dude, I'm kind of with you on that. Any, any criticism that you have for me for still believing this stuff, I've already criticized myself 1000 times more. So, um, I should just stop referencing that and worrying about it. But, um, I mean, I've, I've gone through the phases of being angry of coming out of that stuff and just being pissed, pissed at the church for all those Sunday school teachers or youth group leaders or whoever it was, or just other students who were extra pious and who made me feel shitty and judged and ashamed and out of God's circle of love for my actions and behaviors and because of what I was failing to do so many times. And I bought right into it. I took it hook, line, and sinker, brother. (laughs) 
and believed that I needed to feel like shit, that I needed to lash myself on the back, not literally, but mentally, to punish myself way more, I guarantee, punish myself way more than Jesus ever was in those scenarios or for whatever sin I had done, you know. So I went through periods of being angry, of coming out of that. I mean, it, it was like tiny little steps, like realizing, oh, I can say cuss words and not feel bad about it. Um, it is, it is, well, anyway, I'm not going to list them, but uh, just coming out of that and sort of shedding some of those skins of just like, oh, I don't need to uphold this ambiguous moralistic behavior anymore because actually you come to find most of that shit doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from the fundamentalist evangelical Christians, primarily in the Midwest, but there's, they're everywhere, um, who tell you what the rules are and that you need to follow them. And then you realize those people are so full of it and so unaware and they are on a path in their lives where they think they are pleasing their God and that they are building up treasures in heaven by acting this way. And goodness sakes, like, thank God for getting out of that way of thinking. It's just so poisonous and such a endless, empty cycle of shame and judgment and unnecessary guilt. And dude, get rid of it. Shed that. So yeah, realizing things like that and and coming to realize, and it usually is, it seems like for a lot of people, in in that sort of college age, maybe say 18 to even up to like 32. I mean, it can happen anytime, but that's definitely 18 to 25 is when you become more self-aware. You're really growing into an adult and you start thinking differently, thinking for yourself. And yeah, just realizing so many of these rules I was putting on myself had no bearing. They had no standing. And they were not from Jesus. They were not from God. They were not from the Bible. They were just just made up by a bunch of right-wing Americans. And what a gift to come out of that, to, to realize that there is freedom. And that doesn't mean you're living in sin. And that that doesn't mean you've walked away from the faith. That, dude, that, yes, yes, there are behavioral things involved. Anyway, I don't want to get all messy with that. But just that at, at the core, the thing that I realized is just that there is freedom in Jesus to live and to be and to stop agonizing and killing yourself over this imaginary undercurrent that just runs through every facet of life to where you're evaluating every scenario that you walk into, every conversation you have, and putting it in this light of, oh, is Jesus going to be upset with me? Is, am I, am I, you know, Am I, am I looking and acting like a Christian? And um, uh, 
So yes, freedom. Just that that realization and, and sort of shedding those chains. It's a beautiful thing. And then, I don't know, even along with that, um, growing in, in intelligence or in knowledge and just awareness of the world, awareness of time and how long this world has really been around and how many people have lived and died and how there's way more people that are dead uh, who have died than there are currently alive. Way, way more. So many individual stories and personalities and experiences. So much uh, joy and beauty, but also so much suffering. So much bloodshed. So much um, humans doing horrific things to each other in the name of, I mean, in a, a lot of the the time it was Jesus, human beings being slaughtered in the name of Jesus or being tortured because someone didn't believe in Jesus. I mean, realizing things like that and your scope of the world expands and then you, you filter all of that knowledge through this worldview that you grew up with and it's like, whoa, uh, this this is, this feels bad. Like a lot of bad things have been done in the name of Jesus. A lot of horrific travesties have been done to innocent human beings because someone else thought that they were doing God a favor. And that is, that is tough to swallow. I mean, whether, I mean, take God out of it take God out of it. Let's say God does not exist. Even that much suffering, even in the, in the name of, of presumably like an illusion or just suffering because humans do bad things to each other. I mean, that is, um, it's daunting to think about. It's, it's painful. And just applying that to your own family, to your own world and, and putting yourself in that position and going, what if, what if that was my life? What if I was being tortured for believing this? You know, so anyway, I know, I know I'm getting into weird, dark territory, but this is the sort of thing that I think about so uh, too often, actually. And it's just like, can, can I still believe <laughs> even, even through all that tumultuous upbringing and the mixed messages and the confusion and the, the fear and the lack of freedom and the, and the sort of undoing of all that can, I mean, it, some, some days it's like, how in the world am I still holding on to this? Like, how, how do I even still think there's a God at all? Um, how, how can I still align myself by title with the title of, of Christian with all these wretched people? whether in history or living right now, who are a cancer on this planet, who care nothing for those who are impoverished, who care nothing for who they're hurting without even realizing it by buying things that they buy or... Anyway, it's... it's the, Truly, it's like, can, can I still 
can I still claim this and exist in this? Because I would say the majority of, of Christianity, the majority of at least present day American Christianity, I, I want nothing to do with those people. Um, and I realize how judgmental that sounds. I realize that that sounds like I'm putting myself above them, but all, all I mean by that is that they're living an existence that looks nothing like Jesus. And I, and I mean, dude, I'm, I'm guilty of the same. I'm guilty of everything that I'm saying here and, and of, that I'm calling out as bad. I'm guilty of it too. And I'm, I'm, I'm a piece of shit. Um, you know, in existentially or not, just I, I, I have failed to contribute well to this world. Okay. And I've taken advantage of people in, in ways I haven't even realized. So at the beginning, I said, I don't know where to land. And that's still true. And, and there are those days, like I said, that it's, I'm just like, Josh, this, it's crazy that you still believe this. And, and the Bible is, is a, is a crazy book. I don't, I don't even mean the content. I mean the fact that the Bible still exists and that it is in such frequent use and that a, a gr- great number of people claim it to be not only true but inerrant and and without error and literally word for word true coming from the mouth of God. I mean that that right there I can go ahead and say I, I no longer hold to. And and listen, I, I'm not trying to like parse out some specific theological um base here because I, I'm a mess when it comes to belief. I'm all over the place. I've made this um, haphazard patchwork faith that that basically has nothing left except Jesus, that I think he's a real dude who did come and die and, and came back and paid for a lot of things. And, and the only thing I can hope and cling to at this point is that his love is real that he is real and that he actually is, is so gargantuously um, big in his love and kindness and grace that all of the suffering that I just referred to will be undone. That, I mean, that, that's essentially all I have left to hold on to. And, and that the rules and the ambiguous um, requirements that I put on myself in youth and that others put on me was so unnecessary because Jesus is, as I believe, uh, unbelievably kind and unbelievably forgiving and that a whole lot of people, if heaven exists, a whole lot of people are going to be there. Um, more, many more than we think, many more than the fundamentalists think. I should phrase it that way. And listen, the, a lot of the fundamentalists will probably get into. And I mean, I, 
I, I, I take issue or, or at least I don't, I don't understand and fully hold to the idea of heaven and hell. So I, I, I don't know. I'll just say that I've, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I think that, um, evangelicals can put a sort of, of a very quick judgment on other people in this world who don't claim the name of Jesus or who don't claim the title Christian. And there's, there's this sort of, um, very pretentious, holier than thou view of the quote unquote unsaved of, mm, they just, they just need to know the Lord and then they'd be, you know, and then they'd be okay. And unfortunately the way they go about this is to try to moralize the, com- the, the country by putting on a bunch of rules and instead of actually just loving people really well and, and setting the judgment aside and just recognizing that they too are broken and they too are messy and they fail all the time. And so anyway, that's, that's kind of a side thing, but, um, I just, I get the sense, not even, I get the sense I grew up in this, this, um, I, I think that a lot of evangelicals just have a very narrow view of this existence, a very narrow view of life, a very narrow view of the world, a narrow view of time, a narrow view of um, how this life is supposed to be lived, and that they are um, actually... Well, one being naive and, and one and, and being ignorant, but also robbing themselves of a richer experience. And I'm sorry to say them, I'm sorry to say they, because again, I'm guilty of this stuff too, all the time. Um, but I, I guess at least in for a lot of years and even to this day, kind of surrounded by a lot of these people, um, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm better than them. I'm not saying I'm above them, but just, I recognize a narrow mindedness in their thinking that, um, is more intense and more textbook than, than I think Jesus is applying to people. Um, that's just my belief. That's my opinion. And that's why I say that they can tend to be a cancer on the planet because because of that narrow-mindedness and, and just this, this um, posturing themselves as separate and apart from. And we, we believe, we know the secret truth, the, the river that runs under all experience. We, we know the gospel truth and those poor unbelievers, they don't know it. And so, hmm, tisk tisk, we're going to shake our heads and judge them for their moralistic behavior, for their, for their uh, lack of morals and for their worldly actions. And we're just going to keep praying for them. We're just going to keep praying for them and, and, and share the gospel and hope that they come to to the light, you know, and, and listen, I mean, some of that, the intention behind it is very pure. Obviously not everyone is judgmental in this. Um, but I, I just think that life is more complex than that. 
it is it is more diverse and wide open and and not so limited to be this binary system of believers and unbelievers of just these very clear parameters of like that's definitely a christian with salvation and those all those people out there in the world are not i i just it it is my belief and i might be dead wrong that um that jesus if he is real if he's there if he's the thing that he is not that petty that he's not that narrow-minded and that his um his love is so much wider and further and deeper and uh that his kindness is unbelievably far-reaching to the point that it it reaches um everyone and and so it just if you know to view jesus in that light and to realize how big this world is how many human beings are here and have been here and how big this universe is and how long time is i mean it just starts to knock down some of those bowling pins of belief um that there's only one way to do this so this this has been i realize um convoluted and messy and full of full of my own troubled and uncertain belief and um i mean listen if if you if you think i'm really wrong and and you still sort of hold to a literal bible and that there is a literal heaven and hell and that there's literal believers and unbelievers i mean i i have nothing but goodwill towards you i have nothing but kindness and understanding and empathy because um i just i i understand and i um i'm not on board with all of those things and i like i said i still i don't know where to land i don't know the answers to these things and and um there there may come a day i i'm just being honest there may come a day when i let go of christianity altogether when i decide that uh the bible is a farce and and when i decide that god um does not exist or at least that the biblical god is not the one and i believe that in jesus i mean as of this moment that in jesus there is freedom even to voice and to have doubts that are that extreme um i would much rather that these things are just true at least in the sense that yeah jesus is the real deal and um our idea of heaven might be different but like yeah there's a place where we get to at least go be all together um and absorbed into a sort of oneness where there is no more pain and there is no more struggle and it's just we can finally relax um not even relax that's not what i mean not like lounging but just we can be at peace and at rest and there is there's no more uh of all of this you know here's one last thing 
which is just that it, it troubles me and it, it upsets me so much um, when evangelical Christians act as if they, they know without a doubt um, what, is, what is correct and true. And I, I realize that, that, um, that there's, there is, pardon me, such a thing as, as strong faith, but I think there's a difference. I mean, if, if faith is hope in things unseen, then faith is not necessarily empirical evidence. Um, it, it bothers me so much when, when Christians, again, posture themselves as if they have this answer that is undeniably true. And listen, I, I would like it to be true. I hope it is true, okay? But I still have to blend into that statement the fact that it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know 100%. No one can come back and give us a field manual on death and on the afterlife. I know that there are those hokey ass books, heaven is for real, which ended up being fake. And the ones where somebody supposedly went to hell, dude, I don't buy it. Sorry. I think that probably you went into some sort of coma state and like had some DMT, you know, injected into your brain by your own body. And you had a trippy ass experience, but you did not die and see the afterlife and come back, bitch. Nope. Sorry, you didn't. So all that to say, <laughs> back to the point, just that um, it troubles me when, when Christians act as if they know, when, when the truth is, the fact of the matter is that they, they don't. You, you can have a faith that is strong enough that, that says, I, I really believe that there's 99.9% chance that this is right and correct. Um, but dude, just give me the 0.01%. Like, please just admit that you don't know for sure that there is still a chance that you can die and be wrong, bitch. <laughs> and I say that out of kindness. I call you a bitch out of kindness. Um, cause we're just being silly here. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I just, I'm trying to communicate just a smidgen of healthy, reasonable doubt, okay, that just acknowledges that we haven't interacted or heard from anyone who has died and come back and been able to give a report on what happens and some of you are going, except Jesus, Josh. And it's like, yeah, I know. Supposedly. I mean, apparently like that's, I, I know. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you and I'm kind of also not like he didn't, he did come back, but he didn't necessarily like divulge a lot of information about, about that. And also he, you know, he's, he's like, he doesn't have to fall under the same rules as us and like be put down a chute to hell or put on a, on a stairway to heaven. Anyway, that's me. And so as of now, as of today, 
Um, I still believe that Jesus is the thing. Talk to him every day, all the time. Um, and yeah, blended into my prayers is just, sometimes I literally say, Jesus, I hope you're there. <laughs> um, and uh, I laugh at that, but it's completely sincere. Because I don't know, man. And and um, what I've experienced, here's the part that I didn't say, is that I, I have experienced kindness and I, I will use the word grace and even forgiveness and mercy and just small, subtle moments that in my personal belief at this point in life is that, yes, that was God intervening and taking care of me. Um, and I, I really want that to be true. I really want that to be the case. And so at least for now, I'm operating as if that is the case. And I'm being as upfront as possible with Jesus about my doubts about him. And uh, trying to n- not be the, the fundamentalist, judgmental, moralistic person that I've described on this episode. And, and try to be kind to everybody. To try to have love, to try to actually serve people to be sacrificial, to, to try to make choices in life that, that are in line with kindness, that are in line with, with being aware of others. Um, and, and I am not even close to succeeding at that, but, um, there's, there's grace for that too. There's freedom for that too, I think. So, Guys, I I will I'm the first to admit I know how messy all of that is and I I sincerely don't say any of this to try to plant doubt in your mind. I just at this point in life I don't know any other way to think but that I really want this to be true and and also some of it is fucking bonkers. Um so, let's get to our quote, which comes from Father Richard Rohr, and he's been referenced a lot on this show, and guys, if, uh, goodness sakes, if I can be anywhere near as at peace, and as much of a sort of zen, beautiful person as Richard Rohr is today, and I'm sure he doesn't view himself that way, but if I, if I can even approach that. I, uh, that, that would be grand if I'm even alive when I'm in my seventies or eighties, I just, I, I, I desire nothing more than to just lean, lean into more and more kindness, more and more peace, more and more love, more and more empathy and, and awareness of others and not in a bullshit way that just acknowledges it and moves on, but in a way that is, that takes action in a way that stands up for others. And, you know, I'm failing that now. I'm not, I'm nothing close to that now, but that's what I want to be. 
so much. So here's our quote. Okay. Uh, Richard Rohr comes from the book Immortal Diamond. I mean, those are two great individual words, but put them together. That's a, that's a living forever, super uh, dense entity that is beautiful. And I mean, brother, if I'm not striving for that, I don't know what it is. Uh, here we go. Okay. Quote, Resurrection is incarnation come to its logical and full conclusion. It fully demonstrates that this world, this flesh, this physicality is part of the eternal truth and it forever matters to God. The great unfolding of God's mystery infolds all the previous stages and nothing is wasted or discarded, not even evil, death, or sin. End quote. And God damn, do I hope that's true. I, I know. I know exactly what I'm doing there. I'm using, I'm being blasphemous or using the Lord's name in vain, but that's what I mean. I, I desperately hope that is true. I mean, that's, the, the, the suffering that I was talking about, I, I can only hope that it is all in the end of all of this, whatever this is, that it is absorbed and it is forgotten because the beauty of what comes after is so insurmountable, it's so unimaginable that all of that pain and heartbreak is undone. Um. I mean, I, I get emotional thinking about that. Um, not so much for the glorious part, but for the pain part. Uh, just because I, you know, I would not, I would not wish suffering really on anyone. And and I, I know it happens every single day. In in ways that would uh, terrify us to know about, in ways that would break our hearts to know about. And, uh, you know, which is, which is why I want to be on a trajectory of kindness. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I hope that even the fact that I get emotional about this, that, that that is a, that that's a gift, that that's a built-in quality from God that says, you know, I, I feel it too, that uh, that God, if he is there, that he feels it too. And that we don't know why it happens. And, uh, it fucking sucks. But that, you know, the hope is that it, it will be all undone. And that, uh, that there will be no comparison between the heartache of, of this existence and, and the good and the peace that is to come and not, not just for, um, the chosen view, good people, but for everybody. I really hope that. So I'm crying guys. I'm crying in my garage at 10 PM talking to you. I'm not ashamed about it. I, I really like crying. It's good. It's really good. 
So anyway, this has been Texture. Holy shit. What an episode. And, uh, well, I love you guys. And, um, let just, just keep, stay, stay with it. Stay with me. I don't, I don't even mean listening to this show. I mean, keep, keep going and keep striving and, um, just be kind, man. Because there's enough difficulty as it is. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, See you next week.